Anybody else feel like their life was just up on the screen? Uh, when I was in college, uh, that calendar, that feels really familiar. Uh, I was on a major that took a lot of credit hours, so I'd take 19 or 21 credit hours for a semester. I worked three part-time jobs on top of that. I tried to keep some semblance of a social life, which is probably not the best decision I made. And my grades suffered because of it. I eventually ended up not getting a degree because of it. And so this series, Margin, it hits really close to home because it's something that I've struggled with off and on throughout my life. Now, Margin, what we've been talking about is this space between the pace of life that we live and our absolute limits. So that gap, whatever it is, whether it's a lot or just a tiny little bit, that gap is our margin. And we've been looking at different areas in our life where we need to intentionally create margins. So if this is your first week with us or maybe your first week back in a while, let me just get us all on the same page. I'm going to recap the series just a little bit before we get into today's topic. So week one, Trent encouraged us to be still. Find five minutes, 15, 20 minutes, and just be still. This was by far the most challenging message of the series for me. I don't do still really well, uh, like most of us. We live in a culture that it values goals and achieving goals. It values progress. It values marking stuff off a to-do list and saying, yep, I got that done, got that done. And so with this being still thing, every time I do it, I feel like I'm wasting time because I'm just pushing off that to-do list a little bit more. But on the days that I have done it since Trent talked about it, the time that I've put in there has been invaluable. It's been a time where God's actually been able to talk to me. And to be honest, for me, five or 10 minutes isn't enough because it takes that long for me just to quiet my brain a little bit and to stop thinking about the to-do list that I'm putting off for the next little while. I need like 15 minutes or 30 minutes, but I need enough time to get calm and to get still and then God's able to talk to me a little bit. I'm able to to read the Bible and to get some solid truth that's applicable to me in that moment or in my season of life right now. So Trent said, be still. And then second week, he followed that up with find time and space in our schedules, just as a whole. We are busy, busy people, and we live in a culture that values busy Right? When somebody says, hey, how's your life going? Most of us say, man, you wouldn't believe how busy things are right now at work or at home, trying to travel here and there. We're in the middle of a holiday season where we're all going to get even more hectic. And so Trent challenged us to find margin in our schedules. And he left us with this great idea of don't let good things keep us from better things. And it's hard because when we put our schedules together, when we write down on the calendar, all these things we need to do, they're all good things, right? It's not like a lot of us put in a whole lot of stuff that wastes time for no reason into our schedules. But are we putting on those things that are best from God or just the things that we think of as good things? It was a great challenge from Trent. It makes us really rethink what we have on our calendars. Don't let good things keep us from better things. And then Tim last week, Thought it'd be a great idea as we're getting ready to get into Christmas to talk about finances and financial margin. And if you missed last week, I can't encourage you enough to go check out the podcast. You can grab it online uh, on iTunes or go listen on our website, theepicchurch.com. But what he had to challenge us with was this different way of living financially, a 10-10-80 financial lifestyle. And if that doesn't make sense, go listen to the podcast or just go download last week's spiritual growth challenge because he lays it out there. He gave us this challenge going into this very uh, financially hectic season where we all spend a whole lot more money than we really should 
to look at our finances, to let God be in control and honor him with what he's given us. Now we've, as a family, we've done a piece of this for a while. Uh, we do the giving portion. We've done that since we've been married. And honestly, it's something that I grew up with. It was something that was very important to my family growing up in church that we give to God first. But the saving thing, I'm not as good at. When I've got money that comes in, I figure it's there for me to spend. And as long as I give God his portion, the rest of it's up to me to spend. And so I was really challenged last week with this idea that we need to save a portion as well. And there's a reason for that. And the cool part about it that Tim brought up last week is that this is one of those areas where God says, do it and test me and see if I don't show up. And so I encourage you for the next couple of months, live out a 10, 10, 80 lifestyle and see if God doesn't show up in your finances and do something special. Now we don't uh, believe in the whole idea that if you give to God, he's going to show up and make you wealthy just because of that. That's not something that we subscribe to, but we do believe that God makes good on his promises and he promises to take care of us if we trust him with our finances. So give it a try and see what happens. So that's where we've been. Today, we're gonna to talk about a different kind of margin that we don't really think of all that often, right? The, the needing space in our schedule, the saving and giving and finding space in our finances, that makes a lot of sense. But most of us live right up to the edge in a different area of our life where we need to create margin. And it's in moral margin. Moral margin is a space we put between ourselves and temptation, that stuff that trips us up. And this is the one area of our life, temptation, where we almost purposely live right to the edge no matter what. We push the envelope as far as we go. How far can I go? What can I get away with? What's too much before it becomes too much for me, before I start making bad decisions, before it comes sin? This is a great topic, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I love those little awkward chuckles out there where they all go, I don't wanna hear this. I don't wanna talk about this. Moral margin is important in our lives. Now, let me show you how I know this is something we all struggle with. Uh, by show of hands, how many of us when we're on 95, drive the speed limit of 55 or 65 miles an hour. <laughs> At least that's what I heard. You can't lie in church this morning and not a single hand was raised. I expected a couple this morning. Okay, how many do five over? <laughs> of whatever the posted speed limit is at that moment. How many do 10 over? There's a few more. How many are like me and go, you know, I figure uh, nobody's going to look at me if I'm doing like 12 over. So I'm going to set my cruise control and I really hope that I can cruise past that cop as he's sitting in the middle of the lane. How many, you know what, never mind. I'm not going to ask 15 or over because there are some deputies in the audience today <laughs> and I don't want them to have to come talk to you afterwards. Um, we do this all over the place. It's a silly example, but it's true, right? How far can I go before somebody stops me, before I get in trouble, before it hurts me or somebody else? And temptation is just one of those places where we push the envelope all the time. This morning, we're gonna look at a passage in James where James writes about temptation and about sin and why moral margin is so important in our lives. So if you have your Bibles today, turn to James chapter one. If you don't have a Bible, please feel free to grab one from the back. We've got them in the seating or behind each seating section. We'll also put everything up on the screens. We'll make sure we can all kind of follow along together. But James chapter one is where we are today. 
And let me give you just a little bit of background before we get into this passage so that we're all kind of on the same page with what James writes here. So he's writing to this group of Christians and they've been told by other people, not by James, that you know what? We're all created by God. Everything about us is created by God. It all comes from him. So when you feel inside that, hey, I really want to do this thing that I know that I shouldn't, you, know, you don't really have to worry about that because that's from God too. Or they're being told that's from God and he's tempting you. So you can actually blame him for that feeling. And James says, well, you guys have this so far upside down. It's not even funny. You're way off base and that's not the way this works. So in James chapter one, verse 13, that's where we are as we begin this section. James writes this. Now remember when you are being tempted, do not say God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong and he never tempts anyone else. So that's where James is dealing with that situation. God is not the source of our temptation and the desires to do wrong things, okay? He goes on, temptation comes from our own desires, from inside of us. Our own desires which entice us and drag us away. And these desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. So James says those feelings that we have, those desires to do things we know that we shouldn't, the temptations that we come up against, they come from inside of us. And he uses this language, they entice us and drag us away. So what he's using there, uh, the, the term is a fishing term. It's to snare or to lure. Now, I'm not a, a fisherman. I'm a terrible Floridian. I'm going to go ahead and own that right now. I'm from the Northeast. It's not something that we do a lot of, but even I get the visual reference on this. Uh, when you have a lure and you throw it out in the water and you tug at it and bring it back and throw it out and tug it back. And the idea is that it's nice and shiny and it moves the right way. And a fish totally misses the fact that there are hooks laying just underneath. And after a little while, what it sees there is food and not something to trap it. And it goes and takes a bite. So you can set that hook and bring it in for what's hopefully dinner and its own demise. And James says, our desires and our temptations are the exact same thing. They look pretty. They look shiny. They look great sitting out there. And sooner or later, if we think about it less and less and less, and we just go for it, we forget about the hooks. We don't see the hooks. We choose not to see the hooks and we take the bite. And every single time that hook sets and it drags us away. And James says it drags us to sin. And then he uses this really interesting language about sin. He says, these desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. So sin is this really strange thing. It promises something good and never delivers on the promise. This is gonna be something great. You're gonna love it. By the time you're done, it's gonna be a wonderful, beautiful thing. And so he references birth because of this, right? When we think about birth, we think about life coming into the world and a beautiful moment and a wonderful child in the world by the time it's done. And then James does this switch and he references the heartbreak and the pain of stillbirth. It's this really visceral, painful image that he uses specifically to remind us that no matter what sin promises, good never comes from it. The only outcome we have when we give in to those desires and those temptations is death. 
That's the only thing sin brings into our lives. Now, the way to stay away from the snare and the way to avoid the pain that comes along with sin is to build moral margin, space into our lives, to put distance between ourselves and those things that trip us up. Now, there's one area of our lives, it doesn't matter who we are, where this cycle, this desires turns into temptation, turns into sin, shows up over and over and over again. And this is the fun part of the morning that Chris referenced a little while ago. We're going to talk about sex today. Yay. I just watched like half a dozen of you squirm really uncomfortably. But at this point in the message, you can't get up and leave because it's going to be really weird when everybody stares at you. So you're stuck in this with me. But we will get through it together, I promise. Um, These conversations are never a lot of fun because they make us think about those great, uh, awkward, tense moments when we talk to our parents or our parents talked with us about the birds and the beads, or maybe a really weird conversation with our youth leader about what we could do or couldn't do and weird baseball analogies and just not getting it. Um, When I was in school, I went to a Christian high school. In ninth grade, we had to watch this James Dobson series, and I think it was called uh, The Seven Steps of Intimacy, um, which already sounds like a great movie to show a ninth grader. And we were taught that there were these different levels of intimacy as you go along, and here's kind of the line where you're allowed to do things in dating, and here's the line where you got to wait till marriage. The weirdest part of this was that apparently in dating, you're allowed to kiss somebody, but as soon as you touch their hair, you've moved into an area where now it's about marriage. And don't ask me why, but apparently it is more intimate to touch a girl's hair than it is to kiss them on the mouth. If you can explain that to me, see me out here afterwards, because I've been confused about that since I was 14 years old. Don't get it. So a weird, awkward topic for us to deal with in this setting, but it's important for us to talk about, important for us to be honest about, because this particular temptation, this desire, this thing that we come up against in our lives is one of the most devastating, destructive, dangerous things we will ever deal with. Let me ask you this. And you don't have to raise your hand on this one uh, because it'll be a little strange. But in your mind, I just want you to think about, do you know anybody in your life whose life has been wrecked by sexual sin? And I'm thinking the entire gamut. You can think about pornography, premarital sex, extramarital affairs, unexpected or unwanted pregnancies, STDs, diseases, broken relationships, and hurt and pain. Do you know anybody whose life has been wrecked by sexual sin? And if I asked for a show of hands, I guarantee just about everybody here would be able to raise their hand and say, yes, I know somebody, or I know a friend of a friend, or I know a distant cousin or uncle or aunt who's had to deal with that. It is so pervasive in our lives, and the pain and destruction that comes from it is such that we need to be aware of it and we need to protect ourselves from it. This is also something that's different in God's eyes. And this is kind of a big deal. um, And I'm gonna kind of hit this a little bit and it's a big conversation, but um, the the church, and when I say the church, I mean like the big global, big C church. um, We've done a real disservice to people in lumping all sin together, right? We've said all sin is the same, all sin is bad, all sin separates you from God and, and it's all on the same level. There is a little truth in that. All sin separates us from God. 
And I, and I want to make sure we, we all are on the same page with that. It doesn't matter what it is. All sin puts distance between us and God. But the Bible is very clear that God sees sexual immorality different than other sin. And we need to be aware of that. And he sees it differently because of how much it hurts us and how much it hurts the people around us. First uh, Corinthians Chapter six, verses 18 through 20 says this. This is just one example where we see God looks at this a little bit differently. Paul writes, run from sexual sin. Get away from it. Put space between yourself and that thing. It's one of the very few times in the Bible we're told, don't make a stand, don't go up against it, don't fight this, turn around and run the other direction. And it's because it is so hard to deal with. Run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. Sexual morality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself for God bought you with a high price and you must honor God with your body. It's just one example where we see God looks at this differently. And there are a lot of reasons for it, not the least of which is that God lives inside of us. When we make the decision, we're going to be Christ followers. We're going to choose to live for God. Jesus is our savior. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us. And when we sin and we fall in this way, we sin against ourselves and we corrupt this temple that God creates as a body. It's now a place where he lives inside of us. So God sees this differently. Now, if you're not a Christ follower and you're going, okay, I'm not real sure how that applies to me, that's okay. I think we can all say that at least we recognize that it has different practical consequences than most other things we come up against. There aren't a lot of other desires and temptations that lead us into broken and destroyed self-esteem, relationships, families, careers, health, all possibly in one single act, one single moment one bad decision that we carry the rest of our lives. Some other things, alcoholism, drug abuse, do have those same effects and multiple um, of those on that list, but those things aren't quite as pervasive and don't show up as regularly in our lives as sexual sin does. And so even if you take the God portion out of it, physically, practically, we deal with so many more consequences when this is something that we bump up against. Sex is so pervasive in our society. It's in front of us all the time. This conversation 15 years ago, 10 years ago, would have only been in a men's group or a youth group, right? We wouldn't be talking about this on a Sunday morning because really those were problems for those people. They dealt with it. They talked about it. It wasn't a big thing for the rest of us to, to worry about. But in our culture today, in our society, Sex is absolutely everywhere. Books, TV, movies, internet, magazines, music. It doesn't matter where you look. You can't drive down the highway without seeing a billboard that really you didn't need to see. And our culture celebrates and encourages sexual activity in men and women equally. So it's not just for guys. It's not just for youth. It's for all of us to be aware of and to protect ourselves against and I think that's probably one of the hardest parts, the fact that our society is so entrenched in this because everything around us says it's okay. If everybody says, all right, if it's consensual, you're not hurting yourself, you're not hurting the other person and you practice safe sex, from middle school on, 
it's okay. And most of the time, once you hit high school or college, you're encouraged to be promiscuous, to try out sex with multiple people, to see what all you like and what you don't like, because hey, once you get into a marriage, you're stuck there, and you better make sure you're compatible with that person. That's the message that's given to our kids and given to our young adults on a very regular basis. And for those of us past that point, the message is, hey, if you're not happy with what you have right now, as long as you're quiet about it and you don't hurt anybody else, go out and find what makes you happy and do that instead. Our culture is filled with this. And most people don't know what God has to say about sex or about sexual immorality, or what they've been told is incorrect or partially incorrect, or just doesn't make a lot of sense. As Christ followers, I wanna give you one quick reference about the way God sees sexual immorality among us. Ephesians chapter five, verse three says this, but among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity, not a hint. That's a big step away from what our society says is okay. Not a whisper, not a word, nothing among you. It leads me to believe that God has a totally different set of standards than the world around us. Now, God doesn't see sex as a bad thing, and I, I want to put that out there too. Inside of his context, Inside of a marriage, sex is not only good. I'm going to say that. Sex is not only good. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Inside of a marriage, this is a piece of how you create a loving, trusting, intimate relationship with your spouse. God sees this as a good thing. Inside of the standards, he set up for it. And that's where we all trip. We hear standard and we're done. We're gonna fight it immediately. What do you mean standard? What do you mean there's something I've gotta not do, right? We see a list of don'ts and we're going, no, no, no. It's my body, it's my life. I can do whatever I want with it. When we go that direction, when we lean into society's standards and they're normal about sex, what comes along with that is pain and regret, guilt, shame, insecurity, Fear, divorce, broken relationships, broken families. That's all a byproduct when we choose to go the world's direction with sex and not live up to God's standards. The world's normal isn't working. And so we need to look for a new normal from God because what he has set up ends up with good at the end and not that promise of good, but ends up coming out as death. So we need to create moral margin in our lives when it comes to physical intimacy, to sex, to sexual morality. We need space. So this morning, what I wanna do is give us some practical ways to build in that margin. Now, what I'm gonna talk about, some of the stuff I'm gonna throw out there is gonna sound old fashioned, it's gonna sound weird, it's gonna sound extreme, it's gonna sound ridiculous. And I'll be real honest, I'm okay with that. Because if we are going to live lives 
that impact the people around us for God, we have to be sometimes willing to take extreme measures or go to extreme places to do what God wants us to do because what he wants for us is best, no matter what we might think. And so, yeah, some of it might sound a little weird. Some of it might sound a little extreme, but that's okay. All right, let's dig into these now that I've done a great job of selling you on them. Number one, (laughs) decide ahead of time where your line is. Know what trips you up. And most of us already know this. We already know what things we shouldn't be looking at, what things we shouldn't be reading, what things we shouldn't be watching because they're going to put us down a path that we don't need to go down. So know ahead of time where your line is because when you know ahead of time, you can make the decision and in the moment, it's a whole lot easier to go the right direction. Now, once you have that line, draw a line over here and realize that this is really your line. Let me give you an example. If you have a person that you know, maybe you have some history, and you know that if you go out and you have a few drinks with this person, you're probably going to end up spending the night at their house, and it's probably not a path you need to go down, and you always wake up feeling guilty the next morning, and it's something you don't need in your life anymore. Your initial line might be, you know what, I don't need to go and put myself in that situation. I don't need to go drink with that person. I don't need to, you know, dull my decision-making processes in order to uh, have a good time. That might be your line. My encouragement would be draw the line over here that says, you know what, I'm not going to even put myself into an intimate situation where I'm alone with that person or I'm in a place where we might even head down that direction because from here, it's a whole lot easier to stop and head the right direction than it is from over here. So know where your line is. Draw another line a little further away and realize that's probably where I need to be most of the time. Next, don't get in to romantic relationships with someone who has different spiritual values than you do. If you are already married and that's the situation, that's a different conversation. We can have that another time. If you are single and looking to date, look to date somebody who shares your values. If you are already dating, if you're in a serious committed relationship, if you are even engaged to someone and you realize, hey, we've got really differing values spiritually, different ideas about God, different ideas about what's right and not okay, I would encourage you to very seriously reevaluate that relationship. And it's a whole lot easier for me to say up here than it is to actually do it. But let me tell you this. If you don't have serious conversations with God and with that person, and maybe even bring in a third party to discuss it with you, you're going to figure out that you are going to make a whole lot of compromises, a whole lot of concessions that you swore you never would in order to keep that relationship smooth in order to avoid arguments, in order to not make that person feel bad about who they are or what they're doing or what you're doing or what you want to do, you're going to compromise left and right. It's very seldom that you bring the person up to you. You almost always fall down to a different level in order to keep things smooth. So don't put yourself into that situation. You don't want to compromise those things in your life. Make prayer a normal part of your relationship. This is one of those ones that I imagine uh, you're going to go, yeah, that's not something that we can do. I'm not super good at this. Carl and I have been married for a while now, and I have tried year after year to make prayer a regular part of our lives. And we do it for a while, and then we stop, and then we do it for a while, and we stop. Recently, been trying to make sure that we pray as a family to start every day, which is at least a start and hopefully a good example to my kids. But let me tell you this. The couples that I see married for 20 or 30 or 40 years who have an amazing, 
lasting, loving relationship, the kind of couple I want to be, when we hit that point, God is at the dead center of their relationship. And they talk with each other about God and they talk together to God. They pray together on a regular basis. And I'm going to guess that's part of the reason why they've been married for 40 years and still happy about it is because God is at the center of their relationship. Start it early. And if you're already in your relationship, start it now. It is never too late for that to happen. Make prayer a regular part of your relationship. One last word about this, we'll move on. If you're dating, and this feels really weird when you're dating, I know because I've tried this, Um, but you go out and you go to a movie and you go to dinner and then you go for a nice moonlit walk. It's a whole lot harder for that moonlit walk to turn into something else if you pray first. You feel really awkward doing things you know you shouldn't when you pray together first. It's a great way to not get into that. Pray together. It's also a great way to find out, hey, is this somebody who shares my beliefs, who shares my standards, who shares what I think and I feel about God? So pray together. Next, and this one's big, um, avoid dangerous places. Don't put yourself into places or situations where you know it's easy for you to fall. Clubs, bars, chat rooms, websites, whatever that is for you and you know what it is. Just don't go there. Don't do that thing. Don't go watch that thing. Just get past it and go do something else instead. Don't violate your conscience. This is something I think we all kind of gloss over, but we feel guilty in certain situations for certain reasons, and it can be a good thing. We talked several months ago about this idea that God's law is written on our hearts. Every single one of us, part of our DNA is God's law written inside of us. So we all have this feeling of, you know, I should do this or I shouldn't do this. I should stay away from that. That conscience that God builds into us This is this red flag that God uses to say, hey, internally, I know I shouldn't be doing this. I know I shouldn't be around this person. I know I shouldn't be into this place. It's there for a reason. Listen to it. When you feel that way, it's for a reason. It's not necessarily a bad thing. It's to help you stay out of a worse situation just a little down the road. We're even told in the Bible that it's a big thing. Romans 14, 23 says, if you do anything you believe is not right, you are sinning. So even the Bible says, if you violate your conscience, if you know for you, this is not right and you do it anyway, then it's wrong for you to do. So don't violate your conscience. Next, create media margin. This is another one of those ones where I I know I'm gonna get a lot of, yeah, we're not gonna do that or we can't do that or that's ridiculous. Create margin in what you watch, what you read, what you listen to. Because literally sex is everywhere. The stuff that you used to only be able to see late night on Cinemax or on HBO is now on primetime TV. You can't get away from it anymore unless you choose to create margin in the media that you're consuming. Stay away from those websites. Stay away from those movies. Honestly, if you're not able to stand up and say that you went and saw a movie that everybody else went and saw, who cares? If it's got something in it you know is not good for you to see, then don't go see that movie. Don't watch that TV series just because everybody else says it's a great series. You're going to love it. And you get into it and you go, oh, I I can't watch this. Just stay away from it. If you have a hard time staying away from it, everything today has parental blocks. 
And so really, if we can't do it, we can get some help. You can install software on your computer. You can create parental blocks on just about every uh, cable network or device like a TiVo or a Roku or anything like that. Use them. It sounds a little silly because we're all adults, but some of us struggle with this to the point that it's worthwhile having something even keeping us from getting that far. So use parental blocks, use software, keep yourself out of the situation so that you've got so much space between you and the temptation that you're not going to fall off the edge into sin. Last thing, create accountability in your life. This one is huge. You're never going to win in this area of your life if you do it by yourself. It's not going to happen because we lie to ourselves left and right. This time it'll be totally different. I don't have to worry about it. I can keep my cool with this person. I can think straight. This time around, I'm not going to go to that website. I'm not going to watch that kind of movie. Guess what? We're going to do it. We're going to do it every single time. Or maybe we'll beat it once. We figure, hey, I've got this licked. And then you find out next time around, no, you stumble again. But when you have somebody in your life or a couple of people, close friends in your life, who will talk to you honestly about this, And I'm not talking about somebody who's going to come and grab your shoulder. Oh, yeah, I feel bad. I know. I do the same thing too, but we're going to get it next time. Not somebody like that. Somebody who's going to commiserate with you. No, you want somebody who's going to stand and you say, hey, don't go out Friday night to the bar. It's going to take you down somewhere you don't want to go. Come to my house instead. We'll hang out, have pizza, and watch something that's never going to get us into trouble again. You want that kind of person in your life who you can honestly talk to and say, you know what? I struggle with this. This is something I deal with on a regular basis. I need you to ask me about it. I need you to talk to me about it. I need you to help me stay away from it. Create accountability in your life. So today has been full of wonderful, fun content. And we feel weird and awkward and maybe guilty or convicted about it. And in the moment, that's okay. Because God uses those feelings and those emotions to take us to new places in our relationship with him. And if you feel that way, let God talk to you about it. Let him say, you know what? Yeah, this is something you need to change in your life. And then act on it this morning. Choose to do something differently because he's talking to you about it. In just a minute, the worship team's going to come out. We're going to sing one more song together. And I want you to, to use this moment to think back along the entire series. You don't have to just think about this morning, but through the entire series, where is God talking to you about needing to create margin in your time, in your finances, in your morality, in something we haven't even hit on, but maybe you just know, hey, I need some space in this in my life. During this song, give God permission to talk to you about it, to reveal that to you, and then make a choice today to walk with him around a different path, to take a next step and to follow him into the better things that he has planned for each and every one of us. Let's pray, then we'll sing this last song together. Father, um, this is just a topic that we don't hit real often, but it's something that we need to all be aware of, be on guard against, and to know that you have standards and guidelines set up for a reason. Lord, I pray that this morning that you would speak to our hearts. Father God, that you would show us 
where we need space in our lives, where we need margin, where we need to not push the limit. Maybe it's something we deal with all the time. We've been dealing with for years and it's just time for us to do something differently. Maybe it's something new and we just, we need to hear you on that and become aware of it so that we can go in the right direction. But Father God, this morning, as we declare together through this last song that you are our God and in you we have victory, I pray that you would show us where we need that and that we would take that step with you. Thank you, God, for this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. All righty. Well, good morning, everybody, once again. My name is Chris, and welcome to Epic Church. I've got just a couple of announcements for you before we continue on with our service. First of all, I'd just like to say, if you are new with us, we have a connection center that's set up on the other side of these curtains over here. And after service, uh, if you'd get an opportunity to stop by, we'd love to meet you personally or be available to answer any questions that you may have. Now I'd like to take the time to say, you guys are awesome. Thank you very much so far for the giving tree that's been uh, on display over there with all the cards. There have been so many cars that have been taken off and uh, wishes and dreams been fulfilled so far. So thank you so much. Give yourself a round of applause for your generosity. You guys have been awesome. There still are some cards on the tree and uh, what these are is that uh, these wishes uh, to be fulfilled, if you just grab a card, the need is on the card itself. This will provide uh, parents to get their kids either toys or food or clothing that they need this holiday season. So if you get an opportunity and you're able to, on the way out, grab one of those cards. Make sure you bring back whatever the need is, if it's a gift, unwrapped tomorrow, I'm sorry, not tomorrow, next week on December the 6th. And there's a table that's set up right by the giving tree over there. You can just bring them back in, the card, the gift, unwrapped onto the table next week. And speaking about giving, if you've been coming to Epic for a while and you feel that Epic is home, uh, you've seen that we try to do so much here in the county, outside the county, get involved in a lot of projects, giving to people in need. If you decide that you want to try to partner with us financially, there's two ways you can do that. We have giving boxes that are set up in, uh, behind the seating sections on the tables. And you can also visit our website, which is theepicchurch.com. You can click on the giving tab and give securely online. Now, as we close out the year, uh, I just want to give a little reminder that in order for your donations to count uh, towards your taxes for the 2015 year, um, you need to get in your regular donations into the giving boxes by December 20th, because that'll be the last time that we meet in this building for that year. Or if you mail it in, it needs to be postmarked by December 31st. And if you give online, it needs to be done by December 29th. So there'll be a quiz on all these dates in just a little bit. Make sure you remember those. Well, like I said uh, earlier, we're going to close out our margin series today, and next week we're going to start our three-week series for our Christmas series. So on your seats, you should see a Christmas invite card. I encourage you to take some of these, pass them out to your neighbors, your coworkers, your family, your friends, invite them back for the month of December as we go through our Christmas series. So with that said, if you can just sit back, relax, we're going to have a video come on and enjoy the rest of service. <laughs> 